Okay, thank you so much, Ashley and Chris. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome. Yeah, once again, let me extend a really warm welcome. If you're here in a room for the first time in a while, if you're watching online, you're just coming into the Grace Church family, you're so welcome. Hope you are really enjoying things so far today. You have joined us in week two of our We Are The Church series. This is a series where we celebrate the beauty and the mission of the church. Church is so much more than a, a cozy club or a charitable organization. It is God's plan for humanity. It's God's plan to bring people into relationship with him. And so throughout the Bible, um, God uses pictures to describe what the church looks like. And Rosie, in week one, a couple of weeks ago, uh, looked at church as the bride of Christ. And today... I've got the task of looking at church as the embassy of the kingdom. Ooh, I know, ooh, the embassy of the kingdom. Have you ever been to that posh part in London, near St. James's Park, where you walk down some streets and you just see flag after flag representing all sorts of different nations, and it feels like every single nation, or most of the nations of the world, are represented in that small area? Well, that's the area where a lot of embassies are based. And an embassy's mission is to represent, it's to promote their nation to Britain. And uh, way back in 1999, so, well, it's last, I was going to say it's last century, it's last millennium. Goodness me, last millennium, my wife Emily traveled down from Sheffield to the big city of London as an 18-year-old to visit the Ivory Coast Embassy because she was going to spend a year in the Ivory Coast, and so she needed to get a visa. She got the visa from there. And as she walked into this embassy for the first time, she experienced something of the culture, the artwork, what was uh, given importance to the embassy, the customs, and how people dressed. And all of these things, they kind of gave a, a, a flavor, you know, a foretaste, if you like, of what actually going to the Ivory Coast uh, would look like, how it would feel. And beyond the offices, beyond the administrative hub in the embassy, there's also accommodation. And the accommodation is for the senior person in that embassy, the, the ambassador. And if Emily had met the ambassador, as an 18-year-old, um, back then in 1999, you know, he or she, they, <laughs> they might have promoted um, something that the country has to offer. So they might have talked about the, the reality that the Ivory Coast has the largest church building in the world. Or they might have then talked about this uh, young footballing talent called Didier Drogba, and, you know, destined for great things. Or they might have talked about a, a, a site which is a site of outstanding natural beauty called Mount Nimba. The ambassador's role in that situation is to talk about what the benefits are of living under the rule, living under the reign of the Republic of the Ivory Coast. That's their role. And the Bible uses the word ambassador to describe us. So as ambassadors, what rule, what reign are we called to demonstrate? 
If you uh, could turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, the words will come up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV, and it says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom. Jesus is king. His kingdom is, is, is the kingdom of God. So we as ambassadors, we are called to embody what it means to be under this rule, under the rule of the kingdom of God. But for us to do this well, we need to know actually what uh, the king and what the kingdom actually looks like, what we're representing. So imagine, just for a minute, you're at an ambassador's reception, okay? There's uh, more Ferrero Rocher than you can imagine, even in your wildest dreams. Yeah, that's a 1990s joke as well. And, um, and you're there to promote the benefits of living under the kingdom of God. Well, let's spend a minute looking at how this, how this might look so you have plenty to say in that conversation. Okay, so what is the kingdom of God? Let's firstly define it. Well, kingdom, you could think of it as kingdom, king's domain, but don't think of it primarily as a place, okay? Throughout the Old and the New Testament, uh, the Bible talks about it being the place where, or where it's where God reigns. And I'm not talking about the wet rain, I'm talking about R-E-I-G-N rain. It's wherever God has chosen to exert his authority, Okay, so what does this kingly reign look like? Emily and I have uh, recently got into The Crown. We hadn't watched a, a single episode until 2020. Now we're fully caught up. And uh, I don't know, who, who else is a fan of The Crown here? Yeah, we've got a few hands. So we spend at least as long sort of googling. Did that really happen? <laughs> or was that just good TV sort of after each uh, Crown TV event? Um, but the crown isn't a very helpful guide when you're trying to think of uh, what the biblical version of king and kingdom looks like. Seeing it through our own royal family isn't very helpful at all. Because when we think of king, he's not some sort of distant head of state. He's not someone who doesn't have any real power like kings and queens in England. So what should sprint to mind? What should sprint to mind when we think about king and kingdom? And because this picture of God ruling as king over his kingdom is one of the key themes in the Bible, to help us understand better what it means, what I want to do is plot this unfolding narrative throughout the whole of scripture. So you ready to go on a little whirlwind journey with me? You ready? I'm taking your silence as an emphatic yes. <laughs> I'm sure you were cheering at home. Yeah, thank you, that one person. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go right, right way back to the start. Um, in the first two chapters of Genesis, we see God is the one who created and sustains everything. And there's kindly imagery right from the start. But actually, in our culture, it's so easy for us to miss this. When we read Garden of Eden, when we think of garden, 
in chapter two. A British mindset would be, okay, it's that lawn at the back with uh, some borders around the outside, maybe the odd tree. If you were to chat to Ashley or any other American, they wouldn't necessarily think, oh, it's around the back. They think it's a cordoned off area. You'd have a garden of flowers or a vegetable garden, something like that. But actually, in ancient times, a garden was something that only a king had. So you think about it, something like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, something like that. Okay, so right in this garden, fit for a king, we see God ruling over creation, the sovereign one, the king of creation. And he gives Adam and Eve delegated authority. He charges them to be his ambassadors who are there to demonstrate the rule of God by looking after his creation. However, what happens is Adam and Eve, they quickly abdicate their responsibility and then um, God responds with both judgment, they are taken out of the garden, and mercy. Okay, and um, from there, God advances his kingdom, or looks to advance his kingdom through Abraham. God calls him into a covenantal relationship with himself. He gives Abraham one of the most wonderful blessings, one of the most wonderful promises in Scripture. Says that he's to multiply, he's to be a blessing to the nations around him. He calls Abraham to be uh, an ambassador for God's kingly blessing, to multiply, to spread God's reign. And then through many trials and tribulations, we start to see that happen through Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel. The 12 tribes of of Israel come through uh, Jacob. And there's hope that God is going to restore his kingdom reign on earth through these people. However, instead of being the people with delegated authority, uh, delegated God's authority, because Jacob's sons sin against their younger brother Joseph, they end up generations later as slaves in Egypt. But God doesn't give up on his people. He rescues them from Egypt. He then makes a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. So please turn with me to Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6. Okay, we'll read the outworking of this covenant. And this passage is amazing because it gives a description. It fills in some of the gaps of what it actually means to be under the rule and reign of God. So it says this. And apologies, if I'm sounding husky, it's because I've developed, even before the hugging uh, commences on Monday, I've developed the worst cold over the weekend. So uh, yeah, if I'm sounding a bit rough, that's the reason why. Hopefully it gives my preach extra gravitas. (laughs) Okay, it says this. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this Verse, these verses outline what it means for God as king, what it means to live under his reign. God imparts his blessing. He imparts his wisdom, in this case through the book of the law. And um, he, he is our guide. He is their guide. And he gives them the role of ambassadors, 
blessings, wisdom, and protection. And he just asked for one little thing, one little thing. He asked for obedience. Okay, this is a tinly picture of what we should have in our mind's eye. This tin is not an aloof ruler. He's not a ceremonial head of state. He's not a self-serving despot. He's the one who loves and protects um, his people. And the one thing he wants in return is obedience. That's what he has been after. But over and over again, the, the, the Bible story then says that um, the people of God are unable to keep obeying him. Instead, they worship idols. That in this part of the story, there's judgment, there's repentance, there's more idol worship. That's the book of Judges on repeat. And the betrayal doesn't stop there. And so the people then say, look, we see the Philistines, they've got their own human kin. We see all the other nations around us, they've got their own human kins. Do you know what? We want our own human kin. We want our own kin. So they appeal to God through the prophet Samuel to have their own kin. How offensive is this? God has made a covenant with his people. He's called them his ambassadors on earth. And so in asking for a kin, they're rejecting him. They're rejecting his rule. They're rejecting his authority. They're rejecting his wisdom and protection. And the prophet Samuel, he calls it out as such. He says, this is an offense against God. And yet God grants them their request. It doesn't get off to a, a good start with Saul. It gets markedly better with David. But ultimately, this cycle of worshipping idols, judgment, and repentance continues throughout the Old Testament. And at this point, the prophets get more vocal. They start trying to lift people's eyes to, to God, to point people back to their one true kin, their kin of kings. But the people don't listen. And eventually, the people of God pay their price for their disobedience. And they end up being captured by the world superpower of the day, Babylon. They end up in exile. And it's such a tragedy. God's people had the opportunity to live under the perfect king of kings, under his love and protection. All they needed to do was remain loyal to him. Yet they couldn't do it. They were unfaithful. And instead, they abdicated their responsibility as ambassadors for him. But amongst this despair, the prophets, they keep on speaking. And alongside this judgment, there's fresh hope. So whilst in Babylon, so whilst in the kingdom of their enemy, a prophet Daniel has a prophetic dream. I'm now going to read from Daniel 7, verse 13. It says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which should not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Who was this dream about? Of course, it was about Jesus. Jesus brings the domain of God to earth, doesn't he? He did this by telling parables about it, by readjusting political expectations. He did this by healing people, blind eyes seeing, 
the poor being served with good news. What Israel fails to do, he does. He's the hope of the world. He, he is the one whose uh, kingdom goes from everlasting to everlasting. It's, it's good news. It will last forever. Yeah, amen. Amen. And as we give our allegiance to him as Grace Church, both individually and corporately, as we lift him up to be our Lord and our Savior, we become his ambassadors part of his kingdom and under his love and protection. So this means that we as the church, we're a continuation of the blessing given to Moses that I read earlier. You know the one in Exodus 19? Well, Peter, the father of the church, quotes Exodus 19 in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And this is the promise. This is the covenantal relationship. This is the blessing over us. It says this, but you are a chosen people. Does this sound familiar? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's who we are. The church is the embassy of the kingdom and we are now God's ambassadors called to demonstrate the rule of God, called to live the rule of God, called to, to show people what it's like to be under the rule of our kind of kins, our Lord of all. So what does that look like in Nottingham right now? Let's have a look at our role quickly. We'll look at it firstly as ambassadors, and then we'll focus our attention on the church as the embassy of the kingdom. <coughs> as ambassadors, we are representatives of God's kingdom. You know, we seek first his kingdom. This is what it means. We are to seek first his kingdom with our jobs, with our lifestyles, because kingdom principles of love, justice, wisdom, that's who, that's who we are. That's what we bring. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always wake up with this sense of, you know, wake up, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Let's go and bring love, justice, and wisdom into every single situation. But actually, maybe, maybe you do already, but for those of you who don't, actually, this is a fresh encouragement for us. This is a fresh call for us that that's, how, that's how, what we're called to be. That is the calling that God's given us. That's our identity. So we should feel like that. We are ambassadors for Christ, called call to bring his kingdom into the world. And this is what Christ himself modeled. Um, a Dutch theologian called uh, Bavnik, or Bavnik, I don't even know how you pronounce his name, actually. Um, he says this, for Jesus, the kingdom of God was the purpose of all his activity the main content and the central idea of his teaching. And because Jesus is our ultimate example, we as individuals and as a church should have a similar perspective. And look, you do not have to work for the church or be doing church activity to be an ambassador for Christ. You really don't. As you're doing a school run, you're being an ambassador for Christ as you start to interact and meet people when you're working from an office, 
when you're an engineer at Rolls-Royce, when you're on maternity leave, when you're posting on social media, you are an ambassador for Christ called to bring his kingdom into whatever situation you're in. And scripture is clear that if we're not approaching life with a kingdom of God mindset, then you're not actually living the way that Jesus has called you to live. And if we were to do this in our own strength, if we were to, to just try and force, force our way to always be on top form in our own strength, we would fail. It would be an impossible task. We would just end up like um, the Israelites, you know, this downward spiral of disobedience. But Jesus has given us his spirit as a helper to empower us to be kingdom people. So if you've given your life to Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you and he's there to help. He's there to help you to be an ambassador in whatever situation you find yourself in. And if you don't yet know Jesus, you can be part of his embassy. You can be part of his ambassador team. You can, this can be your uh, mission as well. You can experience uh, the beauty and the wisdom and the joy of being in his kingdom. So if that's you, if you do want to find out more and you're watching online, then click on the prayer button. There'll be someone who'll be able to help you out there. So this means that when I worked in my first job after university in, in a marketing job for Land Rover in 2004, you know, or as an estate agent, which I generally try and avoid that talking about that part of my life in, uh, in 2007, or an operations manager in 2009, I was a kingdom carrier empowered by the Holy Spirit, bringing Jesus's reign of love, of wisdom, of justice into my interactions with people. Did I do a good job at this? Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but it doesn't take away from the fact that was my identity, that was who I was, that is who I am in him. Is that how you view yourself? Knowing this as your identity, knowing this as your calling, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, this mindset will have a profound effect on how you live your life. We are all called. Wherever you find yourself, whatever situation you're in, you are called to be an ambassador for Christ. This means that when you meet people, when people meet you, they will experience something of what God's kingdom looks like. But kingdom activity, it's not limited just to individually what different ones of us do around the room and at home. Just like an ambassador only operates as part of an embassy, ultimately, we can only do this as part of a church community, you know, which means that Grace Church is called to be the embassy of the kingdom, demonstrating God's kingdom in a foreign land. So when people come to Grace Church, to it, they, what they do is they experience God's beautiful, life-giving, transforming, empowering kingdom reign with us as church family. This means that our compassion ministries, to love people, 
you know, to meet people's physical, emotional, spiritual needs. They usher in the kingdom of God. When we care for one another, when we invite people into our home groups, that ushers in the kingdom of God. When we, um, we reach out and we uh, support the foster people who are fostering, that ushers in the kingdom of God. When we pray for healing in this context, it ushers in the kingdom of God. And we see people coming into a new place of freedom as God's kingdom advances, as his kingdom is ushered in. And in doing this, we become that city on a hill, that light in the foreign land, and we're able to shine and bring God's kingdom to Nottingham. And in doing so, we advance God's kingdom. If we could have the, the bands, that would be great. Okay, we've got just a few minutes now. But what I'd like us to do is we're just going to sing this song. We're going to uh, just dwell for a little bit on uh, what it's like to, to be in God's kingdom. I'd love you to reflect and think about yourself as ambassadors. I'd love this to be a bit of a, a, call, a message of empowering you to step into the calling that you have. Um, but we're just going to sing. We're going to reflect on, on God and then respond in just a moment.